There are three threads in the Christian experience that absolutely must be woven in to the fabric of your life. If you want a life that is filled with strength, with joy, and with peace, which I know that you do, you have to weave these threads. And if you don't, you will find joy and peace and strength slipping right through your fingers. And here's the three threads that you absolutely must have. You have to have the courtroom imagery, you have to have the battlefield imagery, and you have to know the target that you're aiming at. And what we've been doing for the last three weeks is trying to weave these three threads together masterfully. And if you will leave today as a master threader or master weaver, you will have a life that is well lived that's filled with joy and peace and with strength. Here's the problem. Everyone's tendency is to grab one of these threads and weave with one thread through your life. And we're in our series called The Gospel. This word gospel means good news, great news, the greatest news you've ever heard. And we've been saying that the gospel is not a diamond, but a whole diamond mine. And within the mine, these diamonds that you find everywhere are pieces or parts of the gospel, parts of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, and how he absolutely changes everything for you. And here's what you're doing in your life. You have wounds, you have experiences, and you have longings, and you are looking through this diamond mine if you become a Christian, and you're looking through which one is the best one for you. And there's one that's going to shine the brightest, or there's a few that it's going to shine brighter, and you're going to grab hold of them. And you're going to make them everything about your life and everything about Christianity, except you're missing all the other diamonds. You need them all. And so when we look at these three threads today, these three threads are really clusters of diamonds. The courtroom and the battlefield and the target that you're aiming at. And so here's how it goes. If you are the type of person who feels a bunch of guilt and shame in your life, you're going to run to the courtroom imagery. Because in the courtroom, you are going to find a shepherd who has come and traded places with you. He takes your guilty record and he owns it as his. And then he takes his perfect record and gives it to you. And you own it now as yours. So all guilt and shame are gone. You are now reconciled with the Father in heaven. And everything is as it should be. And now the, the sin and the corruption in your life, well, you're free from it. That's really good news if you have guilt and shame. But if you're the type of person right now in your life where you need some strength and some spiritual and emotional healing, you need to see him as the shepherd, not as the shepherd, but as the king who fights for you out on the battlefield of life. Or if you've been wandering the streets of purposelessness, you need an aim, you need a target. And that's what we're talking about today. We're going to look at all three threads, but we're going to focus in on the target. And before I do anything else, we have to talk about a very special word that's been hanging around in the background, shining in the background of the series that we're in called the gospel. And this word is a Hebrew word, tov. And it means good in English. But here's the problem. So God creates the world and he says it's tov, it's good. Here's the problem with our word good. It's not a great translation. The word tov means life so abundant 
that it is spilling over and creating life all around whatever has tov. And so God creates the world, he creates Eden, he creates you with all of this tov in you, and your job, your target, your goal is to take all the tov of Eden, the goodness of Eden, the presence of God of Eden, and make Eden cover all the earth. Eden was not supposed to stay at this one little spot, but to cover all the earth. So God says, here's how God says it. Be fruitful, multiply, which means have a bunch of babies, fill the earth with them, and then subdue the earth, have dominion over the earth, which means to live all the ways of Eden and care for the earth or cultivate. So you are called to become a gardener of people, animals, all the earth, to care well. Now, humanity decided they had a different aim than that. They decided they wanted something different. Adam and Eve decided this. And as soon as Adam and Eve redefined what is good or tov, Eden was lost. But the mission of God has not changed. He is still relentlessly seeking to bring Eden to this earth. So here's what happens. Jesus arrives on the scene as the ultimate tov, the king of Eden. And he comes in Eden and like a seed, comes outside of Eden, but becomes like a seed that is planted into the earth, into the wilderness, and there in the grave he takes root. And he bursts out, and then Eden springs out. And when you cling to him, here's what happens. You become tov again. For something to be tov means it has the potential. It has a raw potential to reach its end, its goal, or its telos, which is to bring Eden. So now, because the king of Eden has returned, you now have all the raw potential needed to bring Eden around you. Now, I say all that. Now I want, I want to fast forward to our verses today in the New Testament, and I want you to think about everything I said and listen to what Jesus says. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when, he saw, when, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right, first point, the weaving of the threads. Jesus says, go and make disciples. This is the exact same thing that he told Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it all. Here's what happened. In Eden... All that all of Eden knew was to simply delight in God. To know the sweetness and the glory and the beauty and the worth of who God is. And to be close with it, be intimate with Him. And then Eden was lost. We became lost, wandering outside of Eden in the wilderness. And so the, the, the command changes. The aim changes a little bit. Now, God's people are called to open up the gates of Eden again. And bring people in because we've been wandering the wilderness for far too long. So, 
teaching people all the reasons why they ought to delight in God, the God of Eden. And then it says, teach them to observe all I've commanded you. So this is just simply, these are the ways of Eden. And teach people the ways of Eden so that there, when Eden is planted and the ways of Eden become known, there Eden begins to sprout up more and more. And then this last thing, i got to tell you this before we move on any further. The word go is a present participle, which means you have to understand it as, as you are going, make disciples. So as you are going, doing whatever it is that you do with your life. This is not about you going across the earth to the other side of the world to make disciples, though it might be your calling, and it could be. But primarily, this is saying, as you are going in your everyday, ordinary life, where you live, where you work, and where you play, make disciples. All right, now, let's be honest. This is where I've lost you. And here's why. And I've been trying to figure this out for the last 10 years, and I think I've got it now. I think I'm getting close. It's, it's so wild to me. So every time I talk with people, they, just, they say to me, so, I just want to know what God wants me to do with my life. I just want to know what my purpose in life is. And I'm getting to the point now to where I'm saying, I don't think that you do, actually. Because whatever I talk about your, our purpose in life, which is to bring Eden, the kingdom of God, by making disciples, 10% of people get super excited, and 90% of the people are ready to fall asleep. And I've been trying for the t- last 10 years to figure out why this is, and I think I figured it out. So when we say, I just want to know what God wants me to do with my life, what we really mean is, I have my own version of Eden that I want to build, my own kingdom that I want to build. And I want to know what God has to tell me that will help me best bring my kingdom and my Eden to cover all the earth. What we're really saying is, I really like the idea of Eden, but I don't like the idea of God being there. I actually like being the God of Eden. And it's alluring, actually. It means you have control. It means you have all the power. It means things can go exactly the way you want to all the time, or so you think. So you chase it and chase it, and in the end, you destroy yourself. So what what I'm saying is we actually need a remedy to make us really want Eden and do the work and take aim to bring Eden to cover all the earth. So the question is, what is the remedy? And our verses have the answer. It's worship. These are some of the most popular verses in all the Bible. And very rarely do people see that when Jesus says, go and make disciples, that the disciples are already in the midst of worshiping him when he says it. Now, the point of that is, until you see how wonderful amazing, glorious, and beautiful, and worthy God is, you will have no desire to bring his Eden. You will only want to bring your own. And it will mess you all up. So what will make you worship him? The weaving of the threads. So, when you're, you, you have no interest in God, you don't feel like you want to make disciples, you don't feel like you want to have any interest in God at all, the idea of worshiping him just seems strange. Well, here's what you need. You need to see that you were this lost sheep. 
that you were desperate to be found by a shepherd. And when you meet him, you find that you're meeting him in a courtroom. And you stand in this courtroom, and the verdict's about to come in is guilty. You messed up. You've done some things you should not have done. And it makes you guilty in the face of God. And then a substitute walks in. And he trades places with you. And he becomes guilty though he is innocent and makes you innocent though you are guilty. And now you are seeing all that the favor that the Father in heaven has for his Son is now put upon you. And he delights in you. And he loves you. And he cherishes you. And then you look over and you see his one and only Son crushed in your place. You really get that? You will worship him. You also need to see the thread of him being the king who's victorious on the battlefield, who heals you and strengthens you. So you got to see that once, once he sets you free from that courtroom, you go out, but you, don't, you go out into a battlefield and you have fallen down into the pit. Life has beat you up. Your sin has beat you up. People have beat you up and you're laying there in the pit. He does not look down at that pit and tell you to get out. He jumps in the pit with you. There's a difference between being told you are forgiven legally from your sins and being healed from your sins. So he jumps into the pit and there he starts healing you. He doesn't say, let's pretend like none of this happened. He's like, let's look at the worst of it and let's stare at it. Let's go into the darkness. And there he brings his resurrection healing and he lifts you up, up out of that pit. And you're there out on that battlefield. He straightens you up. He lifts your head up high. He faces you forward, dusts you off and says, all right. Let's go. Let's hit the target. Let's bring Eden. When you realize who he is and what he's done for you, it makes you want to worship him. You lay down your own desire to have your own Eden and to be the God of Eden, and you say, you are way better at this than me. But not only that, you're amazing, and I love you, and I'm going to worship you as crazy as it looks or sounds. Raw potential now all over again because you've given yourself over to him. You're in the middle of worship and oozing out of you is now life. And everywhere you go, it's like flowers and life and greenery is sprouting up all around you because you have him. You know, in John 15, Jesus has the audacity to say that he is the vine and we are the branches. And then he says, you can't do any good apart from me. Now, he doesn't mean that if you aren't clinging to him, you can't do something good and you can't be kind to someone and be nice to someone. What he's saying is that you can't bring tov, abundant life. You can't take the world of Eden and bring it with you because you're not connected to him, the source of Eden, the source of life. Weaving the threads make you worship him. Then that makes the source of life come in you and then you seek to bring Eden and you can actually bring it. So let's look closer at this. Here's your purpose. We've, wo- we've woven the threads. Now let's take aim and hit your purpose. So sometimes when someone new comes to the church and they've got a ministry background, they've been a leader at other churches to some degree, we sit down, we have some coffee, and they say, okay, what's the outreach plan of the Grove? And I say, you are. Here's what I mean. The job of the church is to bring Eden by giving pastors who are equipping all people to make disciples. And as they do that, 
Eden comes. So I want you to know this. God has given you an absolutely humongous responsibility here. And the responsibility is good news in and of itself. Because it's telling you how important you are to God. How much He trusts you. The honor that He gives you. To open up the gates of Eden. You're swinging open the gates. You're ushering your friends in. And then you're going out into the world to bring Eden even more. And this responsibility that God gives you will be part of what's transforming you. Psychologists will say what what most people need more of is some responsibility. And if they take it, they're going to feel like they have more purpose in their life. God has just given you the greatest purpose that could ever be given to anyone. And it's been given to you. Responsibility is there. Take hold of it and you will have purpose in your life. The most mature Christians I know are those who take seriously the calling to bring the kingdom of God by making disciples. Now, the, here's the question. Because some of you are waiting to do this and you're, and you're saying, should I just wait till God transforms me more till I'm making disciples? That's for the mature Christians, not for me. So the question is, Does making disciples transform you, or is it that those who are transformed are the ones who are making disciples? And the answer is both. Because when you see this great shepherd king who's done all that he's done for you, it makes you desire to make disciples. But then when you go out to make disciples, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, God. And he's like, I know. Come to me. And so you go and you meet him in this whole new way. And you're discovering him in a new way. And you know what's happening now? Now you're worshiping. And as you're worshiping, you're being transformed. And you're going to be better at making disciples. So when you go make disciples, you become transformed to make disciples more. If you just listen to God like he knows what he's talking about, he's going to change you. All right. We're going to get practical now. Make disciples. Take your kids, if you have them, and make disciples of them. So what does that mean? Well, first, it means you have to be a good example to them, which we're going to get to. But you're also teaching them the Word. You're opening the Word. You're teaching them how to pray. But it doesn't end there. You're also teaching them to... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hold on. Talk to any youth pastor, and here's what they'll tell you. People come in. They're desperate. They're like, hey, here's my kid. Like, they're not doing what I'm asking them to do. They're kind of going crazy. I don't know what to do with them. Can you just take them and, like, fix them? Make them into a disciple of Christ. Which, okay, that's a good idea to do. Like, bring them to the church. Or if you've got your young family. This is how it usually goes. You've got a two, four-year-old and then you have a two-year-old. Well, now you say, oh, man, we need to get to church. Because the church is where God is found. And this is true. But at some point, there has to be a switch that happens for for you parents. And the switch goes from a dependence on God to help your children become disciples of Christ to the church is actually here to equip you to make your children into disciples of Christ. So you teach them. Well, how do you do that? Well, yes, you get them in the Bible. You get them praying. But you're doing it with them as an example. But you know what it also means? 
Because you're helping to make them into disciples, part of that job is to help them learn how to make disciples, which means they have to watch you make disciples. But you've got to do it together. So right now you're getting a little overwhelmed and you're like, I don't have time, David, and I know you don't. I'm not telling you to add anything else to your to-do list, actually. It said, as you are going, make disciples. So if your kids are in sports, there you go, right there. Your kids have friends. Your kids' friends have parents. There you go. Make disciples. Bring Eden where you already are. Make disciples there. You go to work for eight hours a day. That's a long time. There's your mission field. If you're a teacher in the public school, how do you make disciples there? I don't know. Let's figure it out. Now, again, this is where some people get very overwhelmed. You're probably overwhelmed right now, but let me tell you something. The Greek word for sin is hamartia, which means to miss the mark. That means if you aren't aiming at bringing Eden by making disciples, then you are not taking a shot, which means you're missing the mark, which means you're actually sinning. And if you do take the shot and you miss, you're sinning. But I want to just, like, that's a big deal. And, and I tell you that to say that it's very important to make disciples. But also you need to chill out a little bit about it because you have a shepherd who's died in your place and has dealt with all your sin. And so that means that frees you up to make some mistakes. Because we're really all trying to figure this out. I'm trying to learn how to do this well. You're trying to learn how to do this well. And we have freedom to make mistakes, but at the same time, we take what we're doing very seriously because there's a lot at stake. So you get all freaked out, but then you say, wait, 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 the shepherd has died. He's in control. All is good. All right, I can do this. So you take the shot. And you aren't alone in doing it. The church is here to guide you. What we're doing here right now, the goal of what I'm doing up here is not to tell you a bunch of stuff so you remember it through the week, though that would be a great thing. But the main goal is for you to be brought into worship, for you to see the magnificence of Christ and worship him, which will then empower you and strengthen you to go do what he's called you to do throughout the week. And then you have your discipleship groups, where together you're figuring out how to bring Eden into the lives of those in your discipleship group and as you go out into the world. And, and there's another piece to this. Your example is our next point. Too often, we hear people say, Jesus is good news, but his people are bad news. And it's not supposed to be that way, but it is. And it, and it is, because let's be honest, he's amazing, he's magnificent, and we keep falling short. We do. And if we're falling short... It's because we're not in the middle of worshiping him. We always have a worship problem. It's impossible to sin in the middle of worship, I would say. So if you're sinning, if you're missing the mark, there's a worship problem. 1 John 2.6 Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You can't abide in Christ... You can't cling to him. You can't make him the vine while you're the branches unless you're in the middle of worshiping him. Worship is what makes you abide in Christ. So, here's what that means. Your character, let your character scream the greatness of Christ 
so that all you have to do is whisper his name and people will bow. Now, if your friends are getting mad at you for sharing your faith, you've likely not loved them enough prior to sharing your faith. Now look, I'm not talking about you going across the world to reach some unreached people group, because if you do that and you start telling them about Jesus, there's a high chance they're going to kill you. It's a reality. People are dying for spreading Christianity all over the world right now. But what I'm talking about is your friends. They already like you, I think. And if they already like you, but you showing yourself to them that you're a Christian makes them dislike you, then there's a high chance that you're not loving them the way you ought to be loving them. All I'm saying is if you see the Christ as the greatest thing that's ever happened to you, and you look out at people and you really love them, you're going to figure out the best way to make disciples. Now, if you aren't doing this, you don't care about Eden coming, you don't care about making disciples, you're ready to fall asleep, well, that means you have a worship problem. And the only way to fix your worship problem is to hear the greatness of who he is, the shepherd king and all that he's done. Because his love for you will make you sacrifice and do for others what he has done for you. The proof that you love God and know his love for you is that you are loving others. And if you're not loving others, you've got to go and remind yourself of God's love for you. So then that love fills you, and then you can see him as an example. Now look, he's an example. He is. And if you make him an example only, he will crush you. He's too perfect. So if you take the thread of Christ, or if you take this thread of your target, which is to, is to bring Eden and to be like Christ, if you take that thread, you will, you, you will give up. And you will leave Christianity behind. Because he's too much for you. His perfection is too weighty and it crushes you. It makes you feel like a failure. And all you're going to feel like is a failure. So what you need is to have all three threads. And so you see him as the shepherd who gave his life for you. And you see him as the king who healed you and strengthened you. And then you can then take aim and see him as an example. But if he's just an example, he'll crush you. And so then we ask, well, if he's the ultimate example, let's look at what he did to learn what we should do. Well, here's what he did. He left the comforts of heaven, the comforts of his home, and he went out into the wilderness to make disciples of himself. And he came down this mountain of heaven, and he announces that there is good news that sin has been dealt with, death has been dealt with, the kingdom of God is here, the curse is beginning to be lifted. See, it's all about news, it's all about words that have to be spread. He doesn't come on the scene and just act, he first speaks. Because words are important, and what we say about God is important, and what we don't say about him is important. So he says there's good news, and then he acts into that good news. And he shows you that he loves you so much. And he's made you in particular a priority to himself. He's given you his time, his energy. He sacrificed for you with his own very life. And so you do the same for others. The gospel is news. And he acted it out, but it's with words. So you have to tell them. 
You have to tell your friends. You have to tell your kids. You have to tell your family. You have to tell everyone, your coworkers, that this is true. But you have to act it out too. You have to be like him so that when you do finally speak those words, they bow. So you follow him. You live like him. And you tell the world of him. And then the gates of Eden are opened up. And you usher the people you love in. And you're rejoicing. You're singing. You're dancing. It's a celebration because you're seeing what's happening. And then with your friends now who've entered in, now you say, okay, we've got an aim. Let's go out and do the same thing all over again. And make sure that Eden covers all the earth. You have him. It says he's with you always to the end of the age. And so he says to you right now, pull the arrow back and aim and hit your target. Bring Eden. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the percentage of people would go from 10% who are excited about what I said to 100%. But God, even if, even if 10 more people are excited about this now, God, it only took you 11 to change the world. So God, make us into those disciples who want to make disciples, knowing that you are here, you are with us always to the end of the age. We're not doing this alone, but you are with us and you are our strength You are the healer. You are the one who reminds us that all is okay. And so we stand and we take aim to bring your kingdom here. Help us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.